0: Don't touch What's a strike? welcome to the arsenal vision post-match podcast with your host today me tim yes it's not elliot he is still incredibly busy with his other less important job than this one so i am taking the hot mic today and joining me to discuss well what we discuss will become apparent soon enough but joining me is clive palmer who you can follow on twitter at ClivePafc. clive good evening
1: hello hello you say it like i was some sort of new bloke
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good, good evening um so clive um i figured for a kind of start well we we had a good discussion about this um on the on the kind of on the back channel on the whatsapp um and i know the quotes from steve round arsenal's assistant manager were doing the rounds earlier this week and and they got you quite excited they got me quite excited as well and and what i'm going to do just as a starter for ten clive is i'm literally just going to read some of the pertinent quotes from the interview that steve round gave just in case people haven't seen them because i'm not sure how many people have engaged with them but i'm just going to read like a, a fairly lengthy section because i think they're really interesting and really important and then i'm not going to ask you a question i'm just going to ask you to react to them because to be honest when i read them i kind of thought has clive written this <laughs> because it kind of sounded like your words coming out of his mouth so let me, let, let me read like the transcript this is not the entire transcript but the, the really kind of juicy bits so this is Steve Brown Arsenal's assistant manager we're continually working on emotional intelligence and leadership styles within the group, whether that's the head coach the two assistant head coaches or even the captain's group within the team how you formulate that is bringing togetherness and spirit You're forever trying to build a resonant environment and take it away from dissonance. Discipline, self-discipline and making sure that our behaviour, positive behaviours, are continually reinforced. Negative behaviours are pulled up. There are certain things we will not accept. If a teammate is showing disrespect to another teammate perhaps the ball hasn't come to him and he's thrown his arms up. That's telling the world this guy has made a mistake. We don't blame like that. We don't do that. If the guy has made a mistake our responsibility is to help him overcome that mistake. You're forever showing the players this and making them accountable and responsible for their actions. It's making sure the environment you're in and the culture you're trying to build is consistent consistent at the elite level. You're consistently giving them the information that helps them to become better players or helps them to become a better team. And then you're consistently enforcing the quality of behaviour that you want to see. There's no magical formula to generating a resonant and elite culture. It's just every day getting all the little things right. Every day. Clive, take the floor.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, that is just wonderful because one of the things that's really sort of concerned me has just been the decreasing of size of the club and by that I mean what's acceptable what's allowed to be accepted and this has been a slow chipping away at our culture and our elitism and our aura and our place in the game. This has been happening for about a decade now and what we've done we've concentrated our thought process into the failings of individuals whether it be the manager whether it be the The ownership structure, whether it be a certain player, we've just quantified that down to individual when actually it's everything. It's everything by how you act, who you are, what you represent. That's one of our phrases, right? But are we actually living it? And it took maybe Arteta to come in to remind us That is, if you have the right communication and you transmit the right behaviours and you set the right pillars and culture in place and make people work to that, you can, from that sort of protective state, you can say and do almost anything as long as it's within the structures and the standards that you place. There's something you said in there about, about the captains. They had a word with the captains. Now, if a certain Spanish coach said that to you, Tim, you'd be going, "Oh my goodness, captains, what's he doing?" It's all about, you know, we we got one captain. We used to have Tony Adams. We used to have Pachi Vieira. Hold on a minute. Every single group has a, every single team has a leadership group. Mm. But the way our previous manager, stroke coach, articulated it, it was it was muddled. It was confused. It was inconsistent. When the new guy says it, because he's working from structures, he's communicating in a way, he's able to tell his story in a a better way, suddenly this just goes straight past us. It feels totally reasonable because everything else that you see is starting to join up. And the more I hear about the coaching culture, this is how you build foundations. This is how you do it. You reconnect people to the pillars and the structures by which are immovable, by which the club is representative of. And you put those in place and everyone buys in. And people are looking for him to sort of project. And he's just saying, no, it's day by day. Day by day, we, we live. Remember his first interviewed him? Mm, it's about the way we live. We live. And... He's now putting it into action, isn't he? I mean, did it sort of resonate with you in a similar way?
0: Yeah, big time. And it, it made me think of a few examples that maybe we've seen already. Um, and it made me think of Mustafi. You know, Mustafi made a pretty big error at Stamford Bridge. And perhaps Mustafi is lucky that it was David Luiz who got sent off because David yeah. Luiz, he, he's a magnet for, for criticism. And if something goes wrong, there, there were two stories on ESPN Brazil um, within an hour of the brentford footage going out because you know Probably he made not. that that's you know a bit of an error about 10 <laughs> seconds before the goal goes in like he's a magnet for criticism but but you know mustafi makes that error and uh, and everyone thinks right well that's him done because th- because you're right that's how we've you know we focused on the individuals and and i think understandably with mustafi but arteta i was at that press conference immediately after that game he was asked about Mustafi, and he said, No, I, I, I accept mistakes. But what I saw from him after that was he kept playing. He didn't hide. And, and that's that kind of, I guess, that accountability part, right?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, he said about his reaction, didn't he? He's more yep. focused on his reaction. If you're playing for Arsenal, you're going to make mistakes. It's what you do in the next two minutes that really count. If you sulk your way out and you've got to be substituted, then you, you don't belong in that shirt. You know, so um, it kind of, the interesting things around body language, are, I, I think for me, is starting to hit home. So there may be two or three players that have suffered for me in what I call body language attitude from, from the outside. So I'm just going to throw it out there so you think. So there are three players in maybe Pepe, Maitland Niles, and Gwen Doozy. Now I think they're quite relaxed, quite cool, quite individualistic players. They don't look like they're busting a gut all the time. Um, Grenduze in particular, is quite demonstrative in his actions when he loses the ball and to the referee. And then you look at players that have come in that potentially have put them under pressure. So you've got, say, Reese Nelson, quite hardworking. You know, quite a a solid. You know, a solid up and down. A working hard, willing to listen. Got ability. Looks coachable. Looks like he's working hard. coaches dream. Right. You look at someone maybe like Sabias in comparison to Gwenduzy, a bit more experienced, does a similar job, hard working, gives a perception that he's dashing around, his body language is pretty good, he's quite determined. Yeah, and he, and you look around, you know, obviously Bellary and the Maitland Niles, for example, and you and you're looking at, you're looking around and you're thinking, he's talking about non negotiables, he's talking about your body language, but then he's actually dropping these people away. He's taking them out. He's making them work for their for their position. So they now have to be accountable to the culture that the club and the dressing room has agreed to. So unless they change, they won't play. And we've seen flickers of them changing. He seems to be giving them a second chance. So body language is important. People say, "Our oh, club, we talking about It's about playing. Well, it's not about playing. It's about the group. It's about the dressing room and how they are together. You will not get anywhere... If there are fractions and someone thinks he's better than somebody else, because I guarantee you, all of them will give the ball away at some point. It's really good to see him driving that that culture in the group.
0: And what really jumped out at me, um, just just reading uh, that fairly long passage from Steve Round, was what was the language, um, and kind of full disclosure. I I, I spent Monday evening um, chatting to Lisa Evans, who who plays for the women's team. And um, one of the questions I asked her, I'd say Joe Montemoro is is kind of a similar kind of coach to Arteta, like very focused on details. And um, I, I said to her, from speaking to you as the players, what I've noticed since Joe came in is the way you talk changes and your language has become more technical. So when I interview you guys after games now, I hear you saying stuff like low block or we needed to go a bit higher or width and depth, and, you know, all those kind of stock coaching phrases. And she said that one of the first things he did when he came in the door was focus on words, was literally focusing on, like, the lexicon that the players use. And she said yeah. it started with the psychologists who's, who kept using this language, kept using these phrases, action, reaction, things like that, and they're all pinned up around the training ground. And she said, like, one of the first things he did in order to create clarity of instruction was agree on a language that we all understood and reading that from Steve Round the word consistency comes up I don't know how many times elite resonant these these are words that are not they're not words that just trip off your tongue they're words because you're speaking a language and you're trying to almost subliminally lace that into into your players do, is is that something you feel is going on as well
1: I, I do I, I really do I think. I think it's almost like restitching the club back together again. We talk about connectivity and a lack of connection, and I think you can't just think you're elite; you have to be it. You can't just think you're a big club; you have to act that way in everything that you do, and that's what separates you from people not in your position with the same resources, etc. It's not just a badge over the front door, the stadium; it's the people within it. And you have to build those people, and it's how you work together. And so we've all got jobs, and we work for an organization, but I guarantee you there's 10 people in that firm that control your destiny, control your career, control your life. That's your internal network. And the same in a football club. You have to make sure you have your internal network, and you have to make sure within that you have the right behaviors that you connect to those people appropriately. I'm I'm a big fan in you've got to action it. You've got to do it. You've got to be it. Don't just talk it. And I felt for many a time, as a club, we have been complacent in our behaviours. And it's, and it's from in everything we do, we are complacent just too late, not proactive. The, con, you know, the thing that really manifests itself is our contract deals over the last few years. But it's not the only thing. The recruitment and retention and development of players has been complacent. Our economic spend has been complacent. Mm. We 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 haven't adjusted from having no money to having some money. It's almost like when you're a young young married couple, you're walking around savings when you've got no money with a calculator. Suddenly you both get good jobs and you're not really worried about what you put in your trolley anymore. You're just chucking any old crap in because you can afford it. You see what I mean? Mm. And we've been chucking any old crap in our trolley, mate, and leaving stuff on the back of the freezer for way too long and it's gone off, mm. you know? And we needed to change this. We we made one step with memory and it was the, it was almost too much the other way. You know, and um, I remember talking to a few mates saying to me, you know, like, he's our Bruce Riach. I argued against it massively. And um, But you know what, looking back in 10 years' time, that he may be our Bruce Rioch, you know, in our yeah. Arsenal history period. And some people say now that Arteta is our George Graham. Well, I don't think, just because he's putting a culture in place, he's not doing it Gaddafi style. You know what I mean, Tim? He's not doing it that way. He's making, he's coaching. And when you coach, you challenge the individual to solve issues themselves. You challenge the individual to self-teach, answer questions that are posed to them, and how would they solve the problem? Some of that's technical, some of that's coaching, some of that's as a human behavioural situation. In George Graham's time, he was far more authoritarian in his delivery. He redid it by repeat messaging, repeat messaging, high discipline, right, until he didn't have it anymore. You know so um so i do like where this coaching team is going and I, I, I know you feel the same from the snippets we get out if you if you understand coaching leadership culture everything that we've read and heard since you've come on board is like music to my ears
0: yeah same here and um Again, I'm just just for the last time. I'm just going to make that cross reference to the women's team with uh, with Joe Montemurro because I th- I think there is cross reference there. It's the same
1: type of guy, isn't he? It's the same type
0: of guy. He is details focused, focused on culture um, as well. And I know so the Arsenal women's team they they have like three rules. I've only ever been able to weed all one of them um, out of them. So I don't know exactly what the other two are. I can probably make a good guess, but the only one I know for sure. is is um and, and i know that they're all all three of them are like quite broad and snappy but one of them is don't complain and that's pinned up in their uh area in the train changing room don't complain and that's kind of what you're talking about about being solution oriented because the whole the culture is look if someone's done something wrong don't complain help them to do it right next time and if it's something you can't fix anyway, like a refereeing decision or something like that, then there is no point in complaining. And it's all about building that accountability. And that, that's why I really like when Steve Round makes that really specific connection to, you know, if you don't get the ball and you throw your arms up in the air. And. And I think that's something we've seen too often at Arsenal because the culture has been too individual-focused, for better and for worse. And and maybe it even started when we started buying stars like Ozil and Sanchez and we started looking at them and going, oh God, please dig us out of this hole. And, and I just kind of feel that we're moving towards something a little bit, or we're, at least we're trying to move towards something a bit more collective and and i think that's what they're really driving at
1: yeah you're absolutely right mate they when we got us because we were we went out the youth sort of area and we got us and sanchez and we sort of threw ourselves into those individuals as fans as well by the way you probably can add Ramsey Mm -hmm. to that to that and um and then I think the whole club did, though. It's almost like, oh, there you go, we bought some jewels for you. You have you've asked us to spend some money. Let's just see what they do, and we'll sit up in the uh, Diamond Club and have a nice glass of wine, right? So um, it felt a little bit like that and, and until we weren't really watching the family silver, we weren't watching close enough. So I totally agree with you. We're moving away from an individualistic, single points of failure type culture where we had a, a manager that we couldn't do without there certain players that just had to play. And too many, you know, I, I, I call it support actors, just taking their money, not doing quite enough for it. right? So um, now we need to have a situation where we don't just look at the Tom Cruises out there. We have a, a group of actors that are all really good, that could all lead the film. And that's what we need to get to. And that means we got to have a, a level of quality and a level of behaviour. And I think, uh, from what I'm seeing and you know, what I'm here reading, yeah, but uh, the ball is round and the grass is green, mate, <laughs> as he saw Matthew Brentford We're shit again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I, I just want to draw on just a couple more of the, of the comments from the Steve Round interview because I think it's, re- it's really fascinating. And, and this one's like more of a, a technical kind of standpoint, how the coaching sessions work. So th- this is a shorter section than the one I read earlier, but I'll read it anyway. So Steve says there is group training almost every day and we will train skill set, skill acquisition and technical every day. They still go through skill sets every day whether that's in the pre-training or after training. Say for example we might bring the two centre forwards back to do extra work on scoring. We May decide we want to do penalties. Every day there's a theme around some form of skill acquisition. Middle bulk of the session is around the managers ideas of how we play, our methodology, this is how we play this is what we do and then closer to the game we start training for the opposition so this is tweaking what we do to exploit the opposition's weaknesses or tweak it to negate their strengths so from a, a, a and, and you're a coach as well from a kind of technical standpoint how, how does that sound to you at the risk of making the question really vague
1: <laughs> no, it's, uh, what, it looks as though he's putting in place playing principles it's establishing those principles by which everyone believes in. So wherever that is this, it's how you progress the ball through midfield. I think you noticed the other day on the pitch, there's those extra lines on the pitch, mm-hmm. which is really what he's really doing. Now. He's now focusing on zones mm-hmm. and, and having people in wide areas, Barcelona style, keeping in those zones, making sure that you hit certain zones at certain times on the pitch, you know, high crossing positions, in the box, high shot positions, I guarantee he's playing a more zonal, positional game and build-up game and pattern play. And so to do that, that is repetition. You know, that is, pure, I mean, football is a lot of repetition. The training can, you know, if you're a player, it can be a little bit boring at times. Mm. But the, the benefit is on match day, when you move half-yard quicker than somebody, half-yard for a cross, half-yard movement for a, for a side foot into the box. You've got to be that good to be other players that can run and jump just like you can. right? so at this level, the benefits are in the automisms that you put together, Automanisms, I can't remember that right word, but um, the automatic pattern play, I call it. And that's the benefit of that. So again, he's, he's establishing playing principles and a playing culture. This is who we are. This is how we are on the pitch, behavior-wise. This is how we play. Re-establish it. That, that's your basis, and then you tweak your top layer based on your opposition that you're playing against and certain individuals that you're playing against. And when he says we're closer to the game, we start training for the opposition, So you re-establish the principles every single day in training, As you get closer to the opposition, you take those basic principles, then you apply them and tweak them for the opposition. So You may want to tack down one side a little bit more. So you have your way of attacking, but you may focus on one side because they have a weakness on that side. Or you may have a player with a certain style and profile which allows us to dominate a player in their team which looks after that zone and you can get beyond them that way. You may have a situation where that team you're playing against is not so good on the second ball. So, do we want to play a longer game so we can win the second ball and create wide ways of attack? There are many different pieces of data that come out that tell you how the other team plays. Can you tweak your style, maybe your directness and your build up or anything you can do to overcome? opposition but not doing it in the way that Emery did it where he seemed to look entirely at the opposition and completely change the construct of the team based on who he was playing against which goes against that elite culture team doesn't it mm-hmm. if you're too worried about the opposition what does that say about you do you see what I mean yep. so you went for a situation where Wenger didn't care about the opposition he did entirely it's about our culture and how we play regardless of your position but the game has moved beyond that you have to have you can't quite be emery emery you can't quite be wenger you need to be both and it seems to me from reading that that they're trying to be to do that in the right way establish the culture establish the principles respect the opposition
0: yeah yeah and and one last time that that is exactly how joe does it as well so like the way joe and again i asked him about this and he said Basically, the 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 words he used were, if they just do like, if they just play to our basic principles, they will all get a six or seven out of ten in terms of what they can produce in, in the game, and then the rest is kind of based on the little tweaks and obviously on their individual intuition and how they react in game and things like that. But basically, his point was, if if you just do the basic philosophy, we will always be at least good and then it's about kind of building on building on some of those fundamentals and kind of yeah like you say just just tweaking for the opposition and and making a couple of simple clear kind of adjustments i'm i'm just going to kind of read out just to bring to a close the steve brown comments just to move the discussion on actually because he was talking about talent identification as well and this is where Mm. i want to move the discussion on um, because I mean, I, I was. Hear, on... I can hear
1: Elliot screaming at we <laughs> <'Cause, laughs> talk about data, aren't you? So, okay.
0: Well, so I I, I was on um, another podcast earlier today uh, called the Football Today podcast, and and just asked to give like a bit of a thousand foot view of where I see Arsenal at the moment, and effectively my personal conclusion was I have faith in the coaching staff, and and even if it doesn't work. I I won't blame the club for that. I will not say, oh, you did something ridiculous. Like I can follow the thinking of the coaches, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But I, like I won't blame them for that. I think they've done the right thing with who they've appointed. My anxiety is over. I guess the the executive branch of the club, and this is where I'm going to move it on with with some more of Steve Brown's comments. Um, where he's talking about scouting and he says you still have the eye on the ground the scout who goes and watches the players if you have a really talented scout they are worth their weight in gold Unlike, and he he's, he was talking a bit about moneyball and he said unlike in baseball I don't think in football you can go too far to data or too far to scouting you have to have a nice blend of both now I don't think anyone really disagrees with that. that that's fairly oh. simple and um he talked about Stats DNA as well and said, you know, that they're brilliant and, and they really helped the approach. Now, there is some anxiety among some Arsenal fans, myself included, that with Raul he we're going a little bit too much for the contacts book approach. Now, I guess my first question is is do you share that anxiety or do you think That there is a blended approach, and actually, the contacts-led stuff is for expedient signings, um, for gaps. You know, stuff like Cedric Suarez and David Luiz, who, who, who I don't think are bad signings at all, and they fill a bit of a need. And and if knowing an agent helps you get those done, or do you think we do it too much, or do you think? So, for example, my kind of thinking at the moment is that where Arsenal are, there is no need for expedient signings anymore. We're not going to win the league. And to, to use your blow-it-up phrase, that we, we just shouldn't be making those signings at all at the moment. I think those signings come in when you're at a slightly different level. What What's your view on, I guess, if you're minded like I am that the coaching is good, what's your view on the kind of executive level and the talent ID?
1: It's, it's a little tough one, right? We spent time talking about the coaching and and the more bits of information we get and more transparency we see, the more we hear players talk, the more we watch the football, we sort of can build a level of trust that we've got the right set of coaches in place. And we can say that as mature men now <laughs> because the results have been okay and they're on the uptick, but we're not at the promised land yet, are we, results-wise? You know, we're sitting ninth, etc. But we can see how they're approaching it and the, by, by which they're measured we like what we see So how do we measure the executive so we measure them by contracts by deals by transfer fees and we're not so good at that you know we're we're we've not been so good at that for a long time you know so the transfer record seems to be improving some of the players that we've bought recently have been okay But then you get a couple of deals that come up that bring suspicion and how they're done. I mean, the the Suarez deal, what's going on there, right? It doesn't look elite. You know, we didn't need to pay a million pound loan fee to Southampton to get him and then pay 65,000 pound a week wages for half a year. We didn't need to do that. So, you know we're looking to create some sort of unity in the club which is great you know the the pay cuts etc and we're trying to connect everyone together and it's all great and then you see that deal and it 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 makes us look disconnected it makes us look not elite so we have elite coaching behavior players looking to buy into elite coaching structures and then we have a leadership that we don't really quite trust yet. And how is that going to change? It's going to change by smart actions in the marketplace, by smart increases in our commercial value, by understanding there's a link between that leadership and our ownership, and can they supplement what we're trying to do. There are certain measures by which a fan judges their football executive leadership that we are really failing on at the moment, Tim, or at least there's a debate to say we're failing on because some of these deals don't smell right to me, you know, and these are things we never had to worry about under Arsene Wenger's regime. If there's something, you know, I, I do feel, you know, he was too long on the bench, should have been upstairs many years before, and the reason why is I just think the guy is beyond reproach when it comes to morals, how he behaves, his, his view of looking at the horizon and football in a holistic way is just the greatest I've ever known. Right? Yeah. So how can you have an Arsenal awesome man of 22 years just not being anywhere near the club anymore? And that's um, down to mismanagement of our leadership, of our coach. We should, have, we should have moved him away to bring him back into a role. We can't lose that knowledge to the club it's just it's a crying shame to me um, that he's not involved in our football club in some way or form because i trust him i trust how he approaches the game and i'm still building up my trust with the current leadership and i so want to trust them but they've got more to do for me what about you
0: and well so that leads me on to a question i was going to ask about whether there's any concern in your mind because there is in mine i in terms of what I'm looking at in the rear view mirror. Now, on one hand, I think Emery was an attractive coach for Raul Sanyehi, for example, because mm-hmm. Emery, you know, he'd come from PSG and he'd very much come from the we you-do-as-we-say kind of model. You just coach and we do everything else. Um, now, that, that didn't really work. And in Emery's subsequent interviews, we discover, you know, he's been quite out there about I didn't really want Pepe. I wanted Zaha, and yet the executive team, who are apparently ready to give him a new contract while all this is going on, ignored him effectively. And and yeah. and you can debate whether that was the right decision or not, but that's what they did. They said, "No, you have him, Pepe. We don't care if you want Zaha." Um, and and some of the things that have come out in you know during this lockdown, like with Arteta kind of intervening in the pay cut discussions for example yeah. I mean how does that pay cut look at the moment where Arsenal are the only team in the Premier League to have done it and the Premier League's about to start again so no one else is going to do it because it's all starting up again and if you're a player how does that look like that didn't strike me as a, as a particularly harmonious process Arteta had to insert himself into it we're reading that Arteta wants to insert himself into the Abamiang contract negotiations and on one hand, I'm kind of worried that a mistrust is developing between the the players and the coach and the executive level. But the, the other thing I'm thinking is, I think Arteta doesn't think of himself just as a head coach. I think he thinks of himself as a manager. Yeah. And ma- maybe not quite Wenger, but, you know, Guardiola that are kind of, OK, I've, I've got my guys around me, but I, I'm the guy here. And... I I just I I don't know do you share that anxiety that perhaps a bit of friction might develop
1: I think it's um, not much friction but positioning Mm. I think if Arteta is now positioning himself with his players so he's managing downwards that's his job he's managing downwards and people can see he's doing that well because the players and all the staff are singing his praises. right so Ex players are singing his praises. That's always a that's always a little thing, isn't it? Other majors are singing his praises. So the, the village of football is talking. Right? So that's a good thing. So he's managing downwards. You manage downwards, then you start to look upward. You say, Hold on, I'm I'm creating a power base here. My results are not there yet, day by day, but they're coming. You know they're coming. I need you to support me. I need my I need my top striker, my golden boot win. I need to keep him. If you can't keep him, I'll go and keep him. 'Cause I'm going to be judged by this, I'm going to be judged by my ability to be in football matches. And you need to support me in that. So if you can't sort the contract out, I will do it. Right. So what does that say? I said how do we have a, a quality gap? Right? So I fully think, Tim, I'll tell you now, I fully this is my predictions, right? Yeah. I think there'll be one or two coaching staff members coming on board. I really think that. I think there'll be another name or two coming on board. I think it's going to increase his coaching base, add different skill sets to it. And if I'm the club, I will tell you now, I'm looking at our executive leadership, and I'm adding to it. We just lost our uh, chairman. We may need a chairman, but we need we need more. We need more than we have. You know, we need something that's uh, a bit more representative of the club that it is today. Not what it used to be. This is not you know this is not the Bank of England club it used to be you know, Hambro Bank Executives, there's no longer, that's no longer what the club is made up of anymore. It's different. We're a global organisation now. We need to have that reflected on the, on the board. So, the club has the opportunity to reset itself and I think Arteta can help drive that from a coaching perspective but I, uh, I just go back to we need to see a little bit more for me, Tim and maybe it's a bit down your path and you know how he behaves. We're focusing on Raul, that's one thing. We've also got Edu as well, Yep. you know. I don't really know how he operates. I know he operates in midfield, but I don't really know how he operates in in the boardroom. And maybe something... What do you think... How do you think he's doing at the moment?
0: Mm. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I I don't feel like we have an awful lot of clarity over... Not necessarily just over his role, but like what... You know what are his KPIs and what have he, what's he mm-hmm. achieved so far? And and look, he's only been there. He's been there less than a year, so I don't think anyone's expecting the earth at the moment. But there's, yeah. I I think there's still and and maybe it's difficult, you know, because these things are fluid at executive level. Um, you know, could everyone in the organisation they work in completely set out what their directors do and what the split of yeah. responsibilities are? Possibly not, but. It, it's difficult with Edu. The the only thing I can say for sure, having followed his career in Brazil, and you know, I said this before he walked in the door, was that he always had a, a big relationship with Kier-Giorgadjian. That was yeah. the only thing I was sure would happen, because it it was it wasn't just an incidental thing when he was at Corinthians. It was, it was the whole club strategy. Um, you know, Kier had, you know, he he had a massive influence in that club while edu was there and edu had to had, had to eat some um you know some some bad apples as well he got some really good players but you know he he had to swallow pato uh, when he didn't want him and that was a massive expensive mistake and and, and I, I worry about that repeating here that um because you get that with the super agents right look at look at United got Pogba, and you can argue about whether that's worked or not, but they had to take Mikatarian as yeah. well, and that's what I worry about. I worry a little. I I don't I don't lose much sleep over signing David Luiz on deadline day because we need a centre half. I yeah. I kind of think, I I kind of think that's fine to a degree. Although I don't think Kershel and his exit was the massive surprise everyone says it was because he, he kind of said that he would have left had he not got injured anyway. Um but it's it's more the kind of okay so if we get the good player, who do we have to take next you no know, mm-hmm. that that's that's what i kind of worry about and that's very much been a pattern with with kier as well
1: so his Suarez is our you don't know right
0: yeah maybe and and again I, d- I don't actually lose an awful lot of sleep over that in terms of if he's the backup to bellerin it's kind of fine with me, like, Bellerin's 25, Suarez is 28-29, he's been in the Premier League a few years, free transfer, not enormous weight, like, again, I'm I'm kind of alright with that, but th- there's just a part of me that thinks, how does this fit in to the overall structure, like, does Arteta want Suarez, does Suarez fit what Arteta wants, maybe he does, um, yeah. You know but it's he's not it's... a bad
1: player i know we're using him but he's actually not a bad player he won the euros in portugal and he was pretty good you know i'm not sure what Southampton fans think of him because he was in departure lounge but i've always looked at him and thought you're not bad you yeah. you know but, um and as an arsenal squad member that's going to cost them not a lot of money yeah that's not a bad sign
0: yeah take, huh? take the kia factor out if if mm. that worries you at all and it might not but you take that out, and you think, okay, we've got Southampton's right back as our, as 28, 29, you know, plays for his played for Portugal as backup and competition and support to Bellerin. and and you kind of, yeah, that's fine, that's all right. Like, you know, imagine we needed a left back, which we obviously don't, and we got Ryan Bertrand, for example. You know, you'd think, okay, yeah. that's that that's decent. He's a decent player. I, I I mean, I guess another thing I I guess we should really address is. To what extent is it even possible in this day and age? Because, you know, a, a lot of people kind of complained about us not getting into bed with the super agents and, and how it would leave us behind. And I, I have a lot of sympathy with, with that view. And, you know, even, even a club like Liverpool, right, Who who I think everyone agrees have recruited exceptionally, they paid out more to agents last year than any other club. Um, now, there's a caveat there because they signed Allison and Van Dyke for huge money. So, yeah. kind of, of course they did. But they still did. They still paid agents money and they still paid big money to get those players. And obviously it looks great because they've both worked. But, I mean, is it even possible to escape the, the whole kind of, the, I guess, the web of the super agents? And is it better to have them on side than not?
1: I, I don't think you can escape them. I think it's, if you have a all the best players go to a small subset of agents, which just happen to be the super agents. So I've always felt we needed to be near them. I Some people may say, well, Clive Keir ain't really that super. well, But he's one of the, the better agents out there. He happens to be an Arsenal fan, etc. Um, so that's always a good thing. And he's wanted to get close to Arsenal for many years. So proof's in the pudding. When you have a track record of delivery you can do what you like. So we speak about Liverpool. Michael Edwards promoted up through the ranks. Good data, good decisions, a number of signings that other people didn't see that have just exploded past their expectation. He has a track record. Timo Werner comes up. Liverpool decides the club. You know what? We're not too sure about that. Hey, if Arsenal made that decision right now, then people are going mad. They're going mad, you know, because... Because we haven't got that credibility, moment We need to, We need that guy. We need that guy. But what Liverpool have right now, their fans trust their leadership because they found one album. They found Henderson. You know, they say, so Mane went there, no one yeah. blinked an eye. Look at him now, right? Salah, they brought him back. I watched him for Roma. I thought he was all right. Didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. I did see Firmino play for Brazil versus Chile at the Emirates and was wondering crikey where does he come from next minute he's at Liverpool so that was a that was a smart move from I think Hoffenheim, I think it yeah. was that was a smart move Van Dyke and Allison mm-hmm. picked themselves Robertson another smart thing going to relegate club like needed one album. get their best player smart move Matip zero smart move Joe Gomez taking a London boy from under our noses from Charlton up there I mean that sort of stuff is just really, really good. When you make that many smart moves, you sprinkle it with an academy kid or two, like Trent Alexander-Arnold, next minute you've won the league. Right, so we need to do some of that. That's where you get your trust from, you know. when we see those sort of actions.
0: And and that's actually quite interesting, because one of the things, I can't remember if it was Steve Round who said it, or someone else actually was was talking about Having more of a presence in London again, which is kind mm-hmm. of an amazing thing to say when you're a, when you're you know the most storied club in London. Um, but I mean, I you know there, there's been lots of really good articles over the last couple of years about you know my neck of the woods, Southeast London, like yeah. the borough I am sitting and recording in right now, the London borough of Lewisham. Um, you know, probably responsible for about a billion pounds worth of footballing talent at the moment. Yeah. Um, and and you know. Arsenal kind of, I guess, re-establishing their presence in their own backyard because you know Chelsea. Of unfortunately, we're not the only big club in London anymore. You've got Chelsea yeah. there, you've got Spurs there, Palace still have an immaculate reputation. And um, let me tell you, they're building a new training ground right opposite where I used to live for, for their academy, not for their first team because they recognise where their bread's buttered.
1: Exactly. They recognise that London is a gold mine mm. because there are a number of young players and a lot of black players in London that have got outstanding talents. Outstanding talents. They never used to be able to get near academies in the old days, but the academies are full of these young players now. Now, Chelsea have a system down in Surrey where they have a private school down there that they're linked to. So young players get an opportunity to get better schooling. They get they get they get well looked after funding wise to make sure that their travel costs, etc., are not too are not too much. So parents are looked after in that regard. And they make sure that the whole academy experience is positive and it attracts the best talent. They have they have coaches, they can pay more to coaches. So the best coaches go there. It's a it's a trickle down effect. So Arsenal had to react to this by improving their facilities, which they're doing, improving their academy model, making sure from the top down it's much more efficient. They brought in a guy from Reading, was his Lee, I his mean, second name now. Um I can't remember his name now. I will not say Lee Hodges is the wrong name, but um, the, the, the head of operations, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. They brought him in from Reading, and I know from watching academy football that Reading had a great scouting structure at the academy level. And if he was behind that, we're going to be in good shape, right? So when I see those sort of actions, again, back to the coaching side of things, I trust where that's going. We have we have someone like Per who's obviously developing our behaviours in a similar way that Arteta is doing with the first team but he hasn't just imposed himself on top of there how does he know the intricacies of all the Cat 1, Cat 2, Cat 3 teams across the country how they operate where they play who the best coaches are all the connections well Lee Hobbs will know that and other coaches will know that and that is where we need to be so we do need to fight the carbon private school structure we need to do that we need to offer something to these players but they don't go to Chelsea. and They come to Arsenal instead. We can't just sit back and say, we're the Arsenal, it's okay, they'll come to us, we'll be all right. But we won't be all right, because Spurs' training ground is as good as ours, it's not better. Mm-hmm. Chelsea's training ground is as good as ours, it's not better. They can pay the players the same amount of money, they can offer them the same amount of schooling. In the end, you have to be good. and You have to mm-hmm. act good. We're back to the same thing, and I'm really pleased to see this coming back into the club.
0: And and just kind of staying on that, actually, I was just thinking while you're talking as well about um, you know some and and about like the level of education that that, that's there for players at the moment. And I'm thinking, you know, perhaps topically, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment, Um, not just Mm. the pandemic, but all over the world. And And I'm looking at some of these these young players, particularly young black players, at the moment, like Marcus Rashford, like Raheem Sterling. Um, and, and like Jaden Sancho um, as well. And uh, what's Lillian Churam's son's name? I've Marcus. Marcus, Marcus Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Not you know, a bad player, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all this stuff going on around the world. And I'm looking at how these guys are comporting themselves and using their voices. And, you know, going back to what we were talking about behaviors. And, you know, you what what really comes across is these aren't just gifted footballers now they're, that they're that they're really like they're really gifted people they're bright intelligent people and i think people are seeing that now which is obviously not to say that they that you know that the young players that used to come through weren't but i think the world's really seeing now that these are these are like these are smart young men who understand you know they have a platform and things like that and they're intelligent and they're articulate and they're considered with it and and i wonder as well whether you know maybe that can peel back some layers of unconscious but i hope so that it can peel back some layers of unconscious bias that perhaps have existed with with this kind of talent um and and you know that that really what we're seeing now is that, that, that these are basically these are fine young men not just fine young footballers that are coming through um you know particularly from from areas like London and Manchester and the cities and and yeah i i you know it and and you look at someone like Bakayo Saka as well who's who's coming through yeah. and 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 he's not just a a great talent he's got a great head on his shoulders and and yeah. I, I think what you're seeing is 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 basically what you said is that the academy system is really looking after and educating um these players as well and 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 i you know i look at the england team at the moment and and i'm not massively into the england team but for the last kind of 5 6 years or so it kind of hurts that there are no arsenal players yeah, there because... really like that World Cup squad only had Danny Welbeck, and I kind of think, oh man, like we, there there are some really talented kind of young players in this this like young diverse England team that's being led by this you know quite mature statesman like player a uh, coach like Gareth Southgate, and I kind of think where are Arsenal there? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you feel that as well.
1: I I absolutely do feel that, and I still have a you know a lot of uh, feeling for. Oxley Chamberlain, because he's probably the only one there's anyone needing in the squad that used to be near us. I think, um, don't worry team, in a couple of years' time we'll be fine. Because the under-19s and the under is full of Arsenal players. The under-21s will definitely be full of Arsenal players next year. So in a couple of years we'll, we will be there. Our generation is one, two years behind the Manchester United stroke Chelsea generation that's that's really hitting the front forefront now. I think what's, what's changing is, is the perception of, of young back players. I grew up in the John Barnes era, you know, the Laurie Cunningham eras, and it was okay for black guys to be on the wing, but, you know, what? maybe they didn't fancy it on the cold days, and so they didn't fancy it on certain days, and that was a perception at the time. It was a perception, it was antiquated, but that was it. You know, and now it's, it's really interesting how John, John Barnes is perceived today. You know, he is probably the best player of his generation, but the only time we see him today is when there's some sort of racial storm And people think his career is around race, which is really, I find, quite sad, because he should be in the game in some way or form. Because how can you have that knowledge, that experience, not be in the game advising players and given the fact that, look at the England team now, the England squad, the England underage groups, look look at the academies at Chelsea and Arsenal and Tottenham in particular, there is a... There is going to be a change in the dynamics of the players in our football teams, and watching our game is becoming increasingly more diverse. And what we're finding now is these young players are changing the perception of who they actually are. They're not afraid to be more rounded. In the in the days beyond, it was just we're just going to play, keep our heads down. We put our heads up, we're going to get blown off. These guys are not afraid now. We look at. You look at Rashford, he's got kind of thirty million followers, wherever he is. Why shouldn't he say something? The work he's done recently, he deserves an MBE. Mm. He really does. He deserves an MBE. I mean, it's incredible what he's done. Where has that come from? That comes from confidence in who you are. I think our Southgate played a major role in this. I'm a huge mm. fan of him. Mm. How he empowers the players, how he gives them a platform, he encourages them to be themselves. He brings in the press to get to know them properly, not just on a a 15-minute interview, he brings them in for media days where he can really do on-the-record, off-the-record stuff. I mean, the guy is just class. He's Once you humanise somebody, you get to see them for who they are, not for who you think the Daily Mail tell you who they are, who they actually are. Once you humanise anybody, you build a relationship with them, you build a connection with them. And once you build a connection with them, you see them just like you'll see them, Tim. I can now see them. You know, I can now see them. Once you can see them, you can make your judgment, just like anybody. This isn't a race issue. It's almost a humanity issue. We allow yourselves to see each other and learn about each other. If you do that and don't follow the structures of perception that's driven to us, that keeps our minds small, you never know. You might just learn something about each other. And the more we know about each other, the more likely we are to be friends.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of something you hear a lot in corporate circles, you know, about bringing your whole self to work um, and, mm. and how, how that can really enhance performance. J- just in closing, be- before we close this out, I want to go in a completely different direction because um, maybe this is just my perception, and maybe we haven't really been talking about any individual players that much. But one player who I think hasn't really been talked about since the whole lockdown um, happened is Nicola Pepe. Um, which, which is quite surprising because, you know, big signing like that and look, we've we've seen this happen like anyone who goes for big money is, is talked about an awful lot Ozil, Bergkamp, you know, Wiltord, Arshad, like it's happened it happens to all of them, it's just kind of natural I, I feel like it's gone a bit quiet on Pepe and Pepe is a guy, I think, who kind of off the pitch, very much keeps himself to himself, doesn't really do interviews. You know, you see the odd Instagram story, but he, he strikes me as quite a a guy that kind of keeps himself to himself. And and some of that spotlight, I think, has come off of him um, a little bit. I wondered if you had any thoughts on, um, A, what, I guess, what we can do to see the best from him in the last nine games, and whether you think the trail going a bit cold on him in this period um, is potentially a good thing or a bad thing? Because like, it, it might just be that he's been a bit underwhelming and people aren't talking about him because they're not thinking about him or or do you think this is potentially a good thing, just to kind of take that heat off a little bit?
1: I I think so. I think... By the way, I, I do worry about him a little bit, Tim, because we can all see these, his potential. You know, we're all secretly hoping we've got a superstar in our hands. And when he does certain things on the pitch that he basically can't be stopped, we get so excited. But then he gives the ball away inside the last third, and we think, oh, my God, what have we got here? And you see him jogging after it like a three-year-old. That's not going to work, right? So he's not a rounded player for the price that we paid, and he's a 24-, 25-year-old player. We hope for a little bit more than that. Now, it's a challenging first year, and people coming from France don't always adjust, and we have to give him that time. Now he's had a situation where he is, you know, always having two starts at it. He's another pre-season, mm-hmm. which he didn't have last year, and he's going to start for nine, ten games, and then he's going to stop again and then start again. We may not see him till the next restart, shall we say, to the, to the end of the year. And I think, you know, maybe some of the younger players like Nelson may share that time with him on that piece. But I really want to see him take over, you know, our team a little bit more. Mm. I think we may see more of him once we settle potentially into an, into a new shape on the playing side. I think, We've seen some, you know, we've seen some things around the four-three-three. We played them a, a, couple of halves in this game, which I'm really pleased. We need to develop that system alongside the four-two-three-one. I think that will define him a lot more. That may move him inside a, a one step rather than being on the exterior of the team. I think once he's inside and he he can see the posts a little bit more, I think we're going to see more of him. You know, my views on that. And in the four-two-three-one, it, be, I think him and Ersal are too close to each other in in skill set. And I think they are they just they're in the same zone for me, mate. While offering the same pluses and same minuses up to a certain point. And that to me is not balance. So um there's a decision to be made there. One's thirty one lost his boot contract. <laughs> yeah. Three million three million pounds a week in the last year of his contract and one is the highest record signing. There's a decision to be made there quite quickly. It's not about who's my favourite player, it's just how we, how are we going to invest in one player or not and um, we need him Tim we need that we need that signing to work don't we we can't afford that signing not to work it's not
0: good yeah I mean Aubameyang's 31 one year left Ozil's 31 one year left Lacazette's 29 two years left contract wise Um, you can see who the future should be and you've got these young guys like Nketiah Martinelli Saka coming through and really you want Pepe to be your future um, at this stage and, and perhaps a couple of obstacles are about to be removed for him um, but as you say that that's not going to happen in the next nine games um, and, and I, I just hope we can kind of keep him engaged I guess until that and that he's ready um, if and when we get to the stage where we go right everyone else is gone now mate it's down to you sink or swim um, kind of thing and 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 I hope that he's ready for that. I.
1: Do you think he's Alfred enough?
0: I see. I don't know. I don't know um, because no I mean, one knows,
1: no one knows him, do they? Really? No,
0: no, because we like he had that at his previous club, didn't he? At, at Lille, but Lille and Arsenal is is playing on the counter attack with Lille and leading the Arsenal attack are, are two different things. And you know, I, I don't know. He he strikes me as an introvert, right? And um, we always judge introverts. Um, I think we tend to think that introverts aren't capable of things like that, but but they are. Bergkamp was an introvert. Um, yep. He kinda, he kind he got it done all right. Vieira was an introvert, but like people, um, I think, seem to misremember Vieira as this like screaming, shouting, pointer, He wasn't at all. He he was t- he didn't he didn't talk on the pitch. He didn't remonstrate. He was he was very not insular, but I think quite an introverted character. No problem leading the team though. Yeah. Um, so you know, I I think it remains to be seen with Pepe, but um, yeah, I I mean I I guess we'll see in the fullness of time. But I I just love to have for him to have a couple of big moments, you know, towards the end of the season. You know, maybe we're in a cup final or something, and and he curls in a free kick, like at the very least. Even if we don't get nine ten great performances, I I just love to see something that leaves you going into the summer thinking, okay. You know maybe he's had his perez season maybe he's had his Henri first season and here he is now and i i'd love to feel excited about that um going into next season but let's see
1: there needs to be no debate about him if he can make these nine games take the debate away yep then we can't wait for next year then we're looking at our summer transfer business where we're going to spend hundreds of millions we're looking for who we're going to partner him with and that's (laughs) that's what you want to be dreaming about in the months of august etc
0: exactly exactly that so that that's been an hour so i think we'll leave it there um clive thanks so much you can follow clive on twitter at clive pafc clive thank you
1: thank you very much
0: i've been your host this time around tim stillman you can follow me if you wish on twitter at stillberto um elliot and paul and scott will all be back uh, next week as we look ahead to the season and Um, We we just want to say thank you for kind of sticking with us through this kind of three month period where we've been, you know, there's been a bit of pressure on us to come up with ideas for things to talk about. But to be honest with you, I I don't think we found that that difficult. There's always stuff to talk about. um, And and I think we could have gone another month more (laughs) quite easily. But um, yeah, we'll we'll be back next week. Obviously, we've got games, so we'll be doing post-match stuff. We'll do pre-match stuff. Um, We might do shorter form stuff as well since um, most of us are housebound at the moment and we've got the time to do that. So uh, thanks so much for kind of sticking with us during this period and we're really looking forward to getting kind of normal service going again. And and personally, I can't wait until Wednesday, at least until the first five minutes of the game or so. (laughs) Um, But anyway, thanks very much for listening. We will be back next week. And until then, stay safe and we will speak to you probably before Manchester City nil Arsenal 10.